on this uh, 20th anniversary. The title of uh, my message this morning is How to Hope Again When All Hope Seems to Be Lost. How to Hope Again When All Hope Seems to Be Lost. You may wonder why this kind of a message on such an occasion. Simple. There were many times during these 20 years where speaking personally, I just didn't have the strength to continue in the ministry. External circumstances, my own inadequacies, weaknesses, both spiritual and physical sins, not to discount the enemy's relentless attacks, all part of these challenges that uh, made me want to give up on more than one occasion. And during those times, among other things like the prayers and encouraging words and the fellowship of many, many uh, believers, and in addition to much crying out to him in prayer, one of the main means that God has used to help me press on in hope were the scriptures. Uh, I've said this before, Romans 8 was, was and still continues to be uh, one of uh, the passages that uh, I turn to often during times of challenges. But there's another one, another one in the Old Testament, uh, which is Lamentations chapter 3. It's a chapter that I turn to uh, quite frequently and over the last uh, two or three weeks. Um, people were mentioning that uh, in passing as well and I felt the Lord impress in my heart that uh, I should probably be sharing uh, from that. Uh, I've preached on Romans 8 many times in this uh, uh, congregation, but Lamentations 3 specifically I've not preached uh, uh, from that. That's why I chose this passage, not only to reflect on the past, but also use it as a means to strengthen us as a church and as individuals, to strengthen us so that we will have hope as we continue to press on. It's a lengthy chapter. It has uh, 66 verses. Uh, I'm not gonna go through uh, all 66 verses. We're gonna deal only with, uh, I noticed that. <laughs> no, we'll, we'll leave today at a reasonable time, so that's fine. Uh, looking only at a portion, verses 19 through 24. Verses 19 through 24. In fact, one could say within this particular section, it's, by the way, it's page uh, 1177 in the church Bibles here, 1177. Verses 19 through 24, uh, you could say this is the heart of the book, but within this, there are two verses that really narrow it down to the heart of this book, entire book, very familiar verses 22 and 23. So follow along as I read this section, from verses 19 through 24, and pray before we get into the details. Lamentations chapter 3, beginning in verse 19, again page 1177. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love we are not consumed, for His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait or I will wait in hope for him. 
Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you will uh, bless these truths that uh, you enabled your prophet Jeremiah to speak these words and words that were written for our benefit years ago. Familiar verses, but would you please bring these passages to our attention with a new power and new freshness. I cannot do justice to this message on my own. So I pray that your spirit will take complete control and uh, help us to hear from you the words that you have in store for us and maybe be the kind of people who tremble at your word. Help us to submit to your truths. We are indeed called to subject ourselves to the authority of the scriptures. In our own flesh we cannot do that and neither do we want to do it. May your spirit completely control us in such a way that we would long to bring ourselves under the authority of this passage and seek to obey it with the help of your spirit so that Jesus may be glorified in our midst. In his name we pray. Amen. You know, Cape of Good Hope is a significant seaport that connects Europe to Asia. It's located in Cape Town, South Africa, right at the point where the Atlantic and the Indian Oceans meet. The Cape was named this way in 1488 by the Portuguese explorer Bartholomew Diaz. He was the one that actually founded this place. He gave it that name, Cape of uh, Storms, because of the dangerous waters. And true to its name, this place did cause many shipwrecks. But as time went on, bolder navigators, they were able to successfully handle the stormy waters. So there was this king by the name John II of Portugal. He wanted to attract more people to go there. So he named that as Cape of Good Hope. Cape of Good Hope. He did that to give encouragement to sailors. This is place that you can conquer if you persevere. Cape of Storms changed to Cape of Hope because people pressed on without giving up. The Christian life is like that, isn't it? It's often filled with storms, sometimes of such intensity that it makes a person feel as though all hope is lost. But here's the encouragement. God wants us to turn those times, times of seemingly all hope is lost as times of great hope. He does not want his children to live in despair, but with a vibrant hope. Is that possible? Is the question. Is that possible? Yes. Yes. If we are willing to do one thing. And what is that? If we are willing to turn or return our hearts to focus on God's perfections during times of trouble. If we take our hearts and return them back to focus on God's perfections, times of despair can indeed be turned into times of hope. God's perfections are another way to describe God's attributes. Since God is perfect in all his attributes, Perfections is another way to describe his attributes. And in this passage that I just read, we see Jeremiah do that very thing. 
Jeremiah seemed to have lost all hope. But by turning his heart to focus on God's perfections, he was energized with a new hope. Look again at verses 22 and 23. You see three perfections of God here. Because of the Lord's great love, that's perfection number one. Lord's great love, we're not consumed. For his compassions, that's perfection number two. His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your, here comes perfection number three, faithfulness. Faithfulness. His love, his compassions, and his faithfulness. By Jeremiah returning his heart to focus on those three things, he found himself renewed with a new hope and that enabled him to continue running this race even though the outward circumstances still did not change. It's important to remember. It's very encouraging as we will see through this message the extremely challenging circumstances that Jeremiah faced and in the midst of that as he redirected his heart on God himself, his despair was turned into hope. Maybe you are in the midst of a storm right now. A storm so severe that you are completely down with a sense of utter hopelessness. Maybe you are in deep depression. Others may not even know. You are in deep depression. I'm glad you're here. The Lord brought you here. And even if you're not in a storm right now, if you faithfully live out your Christian life, the key is faithfully living out the Christian life, sooner or later, you will find yourself in a storm. So you need to prepare yourself. I'm glad you're here. Times are good. Glad you're here. Or maybe you just need to help someone who you know is going through a hard time. I pray that the Spirit of God will use you by applying these truths as he sees fit to be a means of encouragement so that you perhaps could turn their despair into a vibrant hope. Whatever the situation, my prayer is that this message will benefit all of you. And if you're here far away from Jesus Christ, glad you're here. Extremely glad you're here. Because these blessings we're talking about applies only to those who follow Jesus Christ. So you need to put your faith in Christ. You don't need to remain far away. Today could be a wonderful day where the Lord Jesus Christ draws you to himself. Forget the 20 years. That's the greatest event if the Lord brings even one of you who's far away from Jesus Christ to himself. So please keep your heart open to receive his truth. God wants you to know that times of great storms can be turned into times of great hope if we follow in Jeremiah's footsteps by turning or returning our hearts to focus on God's perfections, his love, his compassion, and his faithfulness. Let's look at this passage closely as we learn from Jeremiah's example. Yes, we can hope again, even when all hope seems to be lost. A little background of the events that led to Jeremiah's words that I read earlier in chapter 3 verses 19 through 
24. For nearly five decades, Jeremiah had preached his heart out to a nation that repeatedly rejected God's warnings of judgment. He was rejected again and again. Imagine five decades. What a frustrating ministry it can be. Five decades. No wonder he is called the weeping prophet. Weeping prophet. And finally, in the year 586 BC, God brought his full and final judgment on the nation, which was Judah at this time. Remember, the 10 tribes under Israel had already gone into captivity in 722 BC. Remaining two went under the name Judah, 586 BC. Babylon, under the headship of Nebuchadnezzar, come and destroy Jerusalem. His army ravaged Jerusalem. They not only destroyed the city, but a vast number of people, but mainly they destroyed the glorious temple built by Solomon. Jeremiah sees all of this. He was a living eyewitness. He went through all of this. He sees that. He's shattered. So he pours his grief before the Lord. And in God's wisdom, God saw it fit to give us a record of his cries. A book that's titled as Lamentations. The book itself has only five chapters. Yet each chapter is a record of lament after lament written in poetic fashion. Lamentations means funeral songs. Songs sung by a grieving person at the loss of a loved one. In this case, Jeremiah is singing these sad songs because he's seeing God's glory depart from the nation. Temple destroyed. God had finally pronounced Ichabod. The glory departed. He sees that. Shattered. He's weeping. Down and out, deep in depression. That's the picture of Jeremiah in this book. He was at the verge of losing all hope. End of his ropes, so to speak, ready to throw in the towel. And in that context, he speaks what we read earlier in verses 19 through 24. But let me pick up the narrative a little bit from chapter 1. I'll read a few portions so we can understand the mindset of Jeremiah. But we need to try and take ourselves back to that time to see what Jeremiah went through. In Lamentations 1, this is what we read in verses 1 through 5. How deserted lies the city? Once so full of people, how like a widow is she who once was great among the nations. She who was queen among the provinces has now become a slave. Bitterly she weeps at night. Tears are on her cheeks. Among all her lovers there is none to comfort her. All her friends have betrayed her. They have become her enemies. After affliction and harsh labor, Judah has gone into exile. She dwells among the nations. She finds no resting place. All who pursue her have overtaken her in the midst of her distress. The roads to Zion mourn, for no one comes to her appointed festivals. All her gateways, gateways are desolate, her priests groan, her young women grieve, and she is in bitter anguish. Her foes have become her masters, her enemies are at ease. The Lord, Yahweh, has brought her grief because of her many sins. Her children have gone into exile, captive before the foe. Jeremiah sometimes talks about his own grief. Sometimes he talks about as if the city itself is crying out. The people are crying out. Sometimes he talks as if God is speaking. So it's a mixture of emotions going through. 
Jeremiah's heart. And then in chapter 2, look at verses 1 through 3. How the Lord has covered daughter Zion with the cloud of his anger. He has hurled down the splendor of Israel from heaven to earth. He has not remembered his footstool in the day of his anger. Without pity, the Lord has swallowed up all the dwellings of Jacob. In his wrath, he has torn down the strongholds of daughter Judah. He has brought her kingdom and its princes down to the ground in dishonor. In fierce anger, he has cut off every horn of Israel. He has withdrawn his right hand at the approach of the enemy. He has burned in Jacob like a flaming fire that consumes everything around it. See, Jeremiah sees the real reason behind this judgment. It's not Babylon. He knows Babylon is an instrument used by a sovereign God. So he looks at God, you have brought all this judgment upon us. He has burned in Jacob like a flaming fire. When the Babylonians came, they burnt everything. Because he was angry. Jerusalem had put up a siege. They were outside for many months. That angered them. So when they came, they utterly destroyed everything. Go down to verses 11 and 12 of chapter 2. My eyes fail from weeping. I am in torment within. My heart is poured out on the ground because my people are destroyed, because children and infants faint in the streets of the city. They say to their mothers, where is bread and wine? As they faint like the wounded in the streets of the city, as their lives ebb away in their mother's arms. And then in verses 20 through 22, it's really a sad picture here. Look, Lord, and consider... Whom have you ever treated like this? Should women eat their offspring, the children they have cared for? Should priest and prophet be killed in the sanctuary of the Lord? Young and old lie together in the dust of the streets. My young men and young women have fallen by the sword. You have slain them in the day of your anger. You have slaughtered them without pity. As you summoned to a feast day, so you summoned against me terrors on every side. In the day of the Lord's anger, no one escaped or survived those I cared for and reared my enemy has destroyed. And then comes the greater anguish and pain. One of the most moving chapters in all of the Bible is Lamentations 3. It's a moving chapter. Yet it's also one of the most comforting chapters because they speak of a man who is shattered in so much grief yet being lifted up in hope as he returns his heart to reflect on God's perfections. Follow close as I read an extended portion of chapter 3. You need to understand this. This is the way we can identify ourselves with the prophet. And then verses 22 and 23 will make a lot of sense. Think of his state of mind beginning in verse 1. I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of the Lord's wrath. He has driven me away and made me walk in darkness rather than light. Indeed, he has turned his hand against me again and again all day long. Any of you who have been going through prolonged suffering, put yourself here. You can identify with Jeremiah, I'm sure. He has made my skin and my flesh grow old and has broken my bones. He has besieged me and surrounded me with bitterness and hardship. He has made me dwell in darkness like those long dead. He has walled me in so I cannot escape. You feel like that anytime? Completely trapped? That's where Jeremiah is. He has walled me in so I cannot escape. He has weighed me down with chains. Even when I 
call out or cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. You pray and you pray and you pray and heaven is like brass. God is not hearing at all you feel. Jeremiah was there. He has barred my way, verse, verse 9, he has barred my way with blocks of stone. He has made my paths crooked like a bear lying in wait, like a lion in hiding. He dragged me from the path and mangled me and left me without help. He drew his bow and made me the target for his arrows. He pierced my heart with sorrows from his quiver. I became the laughing stock of all my people. They mock me in song all day long. He has filled me with bitter herbs and given me gall to drink. He has broken my teeth with gravel. He has trampled me in the dust. I have been deprived of peace. I have forgotten what prosperity is. You been there? Ever been there? I have been deprived of peace. Remember Job's words, months of futility has been allotted to me. Jeremiah is saying here, been deprived of peace. I have forgotten what prosperity is. So I say, my splendor is gone and all that I hoped from the Lord. Stop there for a moment. Here's verse 18. Jeremiah says, my hope is gone. So he says, my splendor is gone and all that I hoped from the Lord vanished. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them and my soul is downcast within me, down and out. That's the state of the prophet. Notice what happens next. Yet, this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion Therefore, I will wait for him. Verse 25. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man or a woman to bear the yoke while he is young. Let him sit alone in silence, for the Lord has laid it on him. Let him bury his face in the dust. There may yet be hope. Let him offer his cheek to one who would strike him and let him be filled with disgrace. For no one is cast off by the Lord forever. Though he brings grief, he will show compassion. So great is his unfailing love, for he does not willingly bring affliction or grief to anyone. For the sake of time, I'm not reading further. But would you please notice something here? Verse 18, Jeremiah says, My splendor is gone and all that I had hoped from the Lord. State of no hope. But then come down to verse 29. Let him bury his face in the dust. There may yet be hope. So something changed. The situation outwardly is still the same. But something changed on the inside. 18? No hope. 29? There may yet be hope. What caused him to ascend from the pit of depression to heights of glory? Verse 21. Yet this I call to mind. And therefore I have hope. What was it that he called to mind? Because of the Lord's great love we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Instead of looking at the situation around him. Jeremiah now started looking to the God above the situation. Mainly his character. His perfections. His attributes. And as Jeremiah did. 
he was able to comfort himself by speaking these words to his own soul. Look at verse 24. I say to myself, the Lord Yahweh is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. That word wait in verse 24 is better translated as wait in hope. Wait in hope. Therefore, I will wait in hope for him. And then he went on to affirm once again to his own soul. These words in verse 25. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him. To the one who seeks him. So follow along here. Verse 18. No hope. Verse 21. I have hope. Verse 24. I have hope in him. Verse 25. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him. And verse 29. There may yet be hope. In this chapter, there are four Hebrew words that all can be translated as wait or hope. So God has purposely designed to send a message to us through that. Even when you're in the pit, you can rise by looking to Him. Jeremiah, outward situation, still city is still desolate. Things are still the same. But yet, he was enabled by the Holy Spirit to dare to hope. To dare to hope by focusing on God's character. Folks, this is what it means to speak the gospel to yourself. Jeremiah practiced it long before this phrase became popular. I say to my soul, I say to my soul, I say to my soul. And that kind of a perspective and a practice sustained Jeremiah, even though his life continued to be filled with challenges, history tells us he was murdered in Egypt years after he wrote this book. But he stood firm to the very end. That's what God murdered. He stood very firm to the end without compromising on the truths of the scripture because he kept returning his heart again and again and again to focus on God's perfections. That's what we're called to do as well. So with that hopefully helpful background, let's look at verses 19 through 24. After his cry of despair, in verse 18 he says, My splendor is gone and so is all my hope. This is what Jeremiah says in verse 19. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. Now the NIV and few other translations follow the Septuagint in rendering this as Jeremiah's personal experience. I remember some of you who may have an ESV or an NASB, it has it as, remember my affliction, which is like a plea that Jeremiah makes to God. The basic meaning of that word, remember, has the idea to recollect past events or in some cases even consider the present situation. Look at my condition. Remember me in my present situation. Jeremiah is recounting his immediate past and his present either to himself or to God as a prayer. It was a life of affliction and wandering. The affliction led to him being homeless, wandering his homelessness. And this felt for Jeremiah like drinking bitter poison. That's what bitterness and gall refer to. His life was so bitter. He was ebbing away because of these circumstances. If this was a prayer, which very well it might have been, then this is his way of pleading with God. He's saying, remember me, Lord, especially in this time of deep suffering and affliction and bitterness. What is interesting is, even though in verse 18, he says, my hope is gone. 
Yet in verse 19, he again goes back to God. Goes back to God. And as he does that, he's once again, as he's reminding God, if this is a plea, he's once again reminded of his condition. I well remember them and my soul is downcast within me. I think we can all identify with this experience. The more we think about our sorrow, or even sometimes when we're sharing it with someone, what happens? We become even more discouraged sometimes. We start breaking down even more as we talk about our suffering, as we talk about our affliction. That's what Jeremiah is doing that. He's seeing this brokenness that's happened upon the nation. And there's also an understanding because it's their sin that brought this to them. When you're totally broken, you start seeing your sin also. That's why it's good to be broken. Because our eyes and our hearts are more open to the conviction the Holy Spirit brings about. Now let me make sure that I convey this. Not all suffering is a result of our sin. Okay? But, even if we are suffering because we don't, we're not brought to uh, be reminded of a particular sin. In general, we understand we're sinful beings. There's a general sense of sinfulness, brokenness that comes to us. And sometimes, if, even if it is a result of our sin, we can still go back to God. That's the good news. So, Jeremiah, as he's recounting this, says, my soul is humble. It's, it's downcast within me, verse 20. But here's the good news. While our memory has the power to sink us into further despair, it can also function as a tool or as a means to stir up hope within us. So Jeremiah's memory here is sinking him into further despair, but it's that same memory that's now being used as a tool to bring him out of that pit. Please pay close attention to verse 21. I think this is a turning point here in this book. This is a turning point in Jeremiah's condition. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope, says Jeremiah. Unfortunately, vast majority of the English translations don't bring the real sense of the original word, words here. That word call or recall, as in some versions, is often used to returning or returning back. And that word mind is the word for heart. Combined, when you put those two words together, it has the idea of turning or returning one's heart to something returning one's heart to something. We'll look at what that something is. That's what verses 22 and 23 are about. To the best of my knowledge, only two translations render this more close to the original. One is the new legacy standard Bible, which if you're not familiar with, it's a recent work done by the staff of the Master's Seminary and Master's University, of which I know many of you would be aware of, John MacArthur, he's the president. The LSP renders verse 21 as, this I will return to my heart. Therefore, I will wait in hope. And the Net Bible, it's another excellent translation. It's just worth the money for its footnotes because you have the translators, how they wrestle with them, they have notes. And in that, the Net Bible footnote has it as, but this I cause to return to my heart. But this I cause to return to my heart. Now, what did Jeremiah cause to return to his heart? The Lord's perfections 
or his attributes he described in verses 22 and 23. It's like Jeremiah is saying to himself, the more I think of my sorrow, the deeper I'm sinking into despair. It's high time I turn or return my heart to focus on God's perfections because that's what I've been created to do, to focus on God, to focus on his glory. And how can we understand God's glory apart from his attributes, apart from his perfections? So Jeremiah takes this active step. It is high time I cause my heart to return to God's perfections. That's exactly what he does in verses 22 and 23. And that's why later he could say in verses 24 and 25 that he could wait in hope and assert that the Lord is good to all those who hope in him. You see, hope returns when during times of suffering we turn and rest our hearts back to the truths of God's faithful and unchanging character as he has revealed in his word. That's exactly what Jeremiah does here. He looks away for a time from the desolation and the destruction of the city. And he says, I'm going to look at this God who is above all this. And that's what changed his perspective from being hopeless, downcast, all hope is lost, to there may yet be hope. The Lord is good. He acknowledges God's goodness because he focused on God's perfections. When we grow in our understanding of God's perfections, when we meditate on that, automatically we will start looking at God as a good God. The Lord is good and everything that he does is good. Please understand, Jeremiah's hope was not something he created in his own mind by denying or minimizing his suffering or misery. This was not some kind of a positive thinking that denies the existence of suffering. No, not at all. His thinking was transformed from despair to hope as he actively turned or returned his heart to focus on God. This I will cause. Turn my heart to focus on. Three things. God's great love, his unfailing compassion, and his great faithfulness. Look at verses 22 and 23. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed for his compassions, never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Jeremiah was very familiar with Deuteronomy 28, where God through Moses described the blessings and the curses for the nation. If they obey, blessings. If they disobey, curses. Jeremiah knew God working out his curses because the nation had rebelled against him for a long, long time. He's not denying the nation's sin. He's acknowledging we deserve this. In, Jerem in chapter 1, verse 8, he says, Jerusalem has sinned greatly and so has become unclean. Again in verse 9, her filthiness clung to her skirts. She did not consider her future. And then again in chapter 3, verse 39, he says, why should the living complain when punished for their sins? Jeremiah is not saying we don't deserve this or you are too harsh on us. We deserve this. He's not questioning God's justice. In fact, he acknowledges 
that even for a remnant, a small group of people to live after this judgment was purely an act of God's grace. But he also realized the very fact that there is a remnant that exists is also proof that God is keeping his promise to Abraham to establish a people for his name's sake. Because if all of God's people perish, how then could God be a promise-keeping God? So he sees a remnant left. You're a promise-keeping God. This is who you are. So he's focusing with confidence at this God who will keep his promises. You see, in chapter, in, in verses 22 and 23, I mentioned about three perfections. We'll look at those three perfections briefly. His love, compassions, and faithfulness. What do you think was on Jeremiah's mind when he particularly speaks of these three perfections? I believe he prayed this prayer in keeping with God's own revelation of his character. In Exodus 34, and I would encourage you to turn with me to Exodus 34. I want you to see this. In Exodus 34, it's page 126 in the church Bibles here. Moses is asking God, show me, I want to see you. You can only see my glory, God tells Moses. And in passing, as his glory passes by, this is God revealing his own character to Moses. This is who I am, he says. Look at verses 5 through 7. And the Lord Yahweh came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord Yahweh. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. I want to draw your attention to verse 6. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Do you see there? Compassionate, love, faithfulness. Now come to Jeremiah, sorry, Lamentations 3. What are the three perfections? Love, compassions, faithfulness. So what Jeremiah is doing here is this. He is returning his heart to God's perfections as God himself has revealed in his word. You have told us this is who you are. And my prayer is in keeping with your own revelation of yourself. This is what it means to pray scriptures back to God. We don't make a God according to our image. We conform to the God who is and who always will be. Let's look at those three perfections. Perfection number one, first part of verse 22, Jeremiah says, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. The Lord's great love. That word for love describes a covenant love, an unfailing, loyal, and steadfast love. In fact, it's in the plural. The NASB renders it as loving kindnesses, meaning God's repeated acts of love. Love upon love upon love. Because of that kind of a covenant love that God shows, Jeremiah says, we are not consumed. Though we deserve to be destroyed because our sins are many, 
we are not consumed. Now, again, if you're using an NASB or an ESV, there's a slight change in the last part. That they render it as the steadfast, uh, because of the steadfast love of the Lord, we are not cut off. We're not cut off. And the, but if you're having an ESV, it has a helpful footnote there. It says the Hebrew reads, the footnote says the Hebrew reads, because of the steadfast love of the Lord, we are not cut off. The original one reads, the loving kindness or steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. So the footnote says the Hebrew is the way the NIV reads. The Syriac and the Targum read it a little differently. I don't think in the end it's a big issue. Why? Because, because of this, because the Lord's love never ceases, we're not consumed. Because we're not consumed, it is proof that the Lord's love never ceases. We're not cut off. It's a proof that his love is unending. So the idea here, the main point is, our sins, while they are many, and they need to be taken seriously, they still cannot overwhelm or quench God's steadfast, loyal, relentless, and great love. That's what Jeremiah is returning his heart to focus on. The situation is dismal. We brought it upon ourselves. Yet, God, yet Yahweh, your love is so great. The very fact you've left a remnant gives us confidence. Your love cannot be quenched by our sins, even though they are many. You're not a license to live in sin, but a motivation to go back to God and rest in his love. So this is the first perfection of God that Jeremiah focuses on as he starts his journey from depression to hope. Notice the second perfection he sets his heart to return to, the Lord's never failing compassions. Second part of verse 22 and first part of verse 23. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Again, the word compassions are in the plural. I'm not sure how many of you know, but that word compassions is from a Hebrew word that is often associated with the womb. With the womb. It denotes tender care and deep affection. Some translations render it as mercies. Now there's another Hebrew word specifically for mercy that's used in the Old Testament. Compassion is a better rendering because it brings out God's tender care and affection from deep within like that of a mother who has tender affection to her child in the womb. Jeremiah says, many are God's acts of compassion which never fail, meaning they never end. Again, human sin cannot drown God's compassions. His compassions can never be exhausted. A little kid was with his father building these sand castles by the beach. Every time he would go, bring a little cup of water as he built, and he asked his father, if I keep taking this cup, will this sea dry out? The father laughs. That's how it's with God's compassions. The cup never runs empty. The cup never runs empty. And he goes on to say another comforting truth. They are new every morning. It does not mean new in terms of their quality. A better way to render it would be something along the lines like the New Living Translation puts it, they begin afresh each morning. Remember 40 years in the wilderness? 
Every morning, fresh manna was given. People in the beginning were afraid. They tried to stock it up because they didn't believe in God. But God, by giving it every morning, was telling them, I give you enough for the day. Echoing Jesus' words, enough trouble for the single day. We bring tomorrow's troubles into today and try to deal with the compassions given to deal only with today's troubles. God says, tomorrow, it's going to be there. Day after tomorrow, it's going to be there. My compassions never fail. They begin afresh every morning. Several decades before Jeremiah made this statement in verse 22, his compassions never fail. Another faithful prophet, Isaiah, used the imagery of how compassionate a mother is toward her child in the womb. Very familiar verses. You're in Lamentations. Go two books to the left. That's Isaiah. And look at Isaiah chapter 49. It's page 1047. Isaiah 49. I want you to see something. There's a little thread here. I hope you can see that. Isaiah 49. Isaiah, like Jeremiah, was again calling the nation Judah to repentance over and over and over again. They rebelled. But in verses 15 and 16, notice what he says. He's writing what God spoke through him. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are before me. You see that word compassion? It's the same Hebrew word that's translated compassions in Lamentations 3. I want you to see the connection here. What Jeremiah is saying is this. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? What's the obvious answer? No. No. When God wanted to show the highest example he can use so that we humans can understand, he always brings a mother's love to her child. A mother's love to her child. But then notice what God goes on to say. Though she may forget, even if that were a possibility, he says, I will not forget you. Did you know something so tragic that will turn your stomachs? Go to Lamentations, back to Lamentations 3, but this time go to chapter 4 and verse 10. Page 1180, chapter 4 and verse 10. This is what happened. Remember I said Jerusalem was under a siege. Months, starvation. This is what we read, verse 10. With their own hands, compassionate women. Again, the same word, Hebrew word, translated compassionate. Compassionate women have cooked their own children who became their food when my people were destroyed. You see this? Turns your stomach, doesn't it? And I'm not a mom. And I never will be a mom. If you got it, fine. If you didn't get it, that's okay. <laughs> but you see the connection? Isaiah says, compassionate mother, even if she, and she did, and Jeremiah says, he remembers the second part of Isaiah. 
I will not forget. I will not forget. I've engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are ever before me. So he focuses on God's compassions which are unfailing as he continues his journey from despair to hope. Third perfection of God that Jeremiah set his heart to return to his great faithfulness. And the verse 23, great is your faithfulness. In the light of the earlier two that he described, Jeremiah now is returning his heart, turning his heart to a direct worship of God by acknowledging his trustworthy character. That's what faithfulness means. God can be trusted. One Hebrew and English lexicon describes this word faithfulness as referring to steadfastness, firmness, and fidelity. It's from the same root as the word Amen. Amen. It's the same word. This is what Jeremiah in a sense said. God, great is your utter dependability. You alone are steadfast, firm, and reliable, even though we are weak, unreliable, <coughs> and always prone to wander. That's who we are. But even though we are this, you are dependable, rock solid. That's why God is often described as a rock. It's a rock, never changing. So you see what Jeremiah did here by citing these three perfections of God. In a sense, he worshipped Yahweh by affirming his own words from Exodus chapter 34 and verse 6. God, you are, as you told Moses, a God who is abounding in love. God, you are, as you said to Moses, the compassionate and gracious God. And God, you are, as you revealed to Moses, the God who abounds in faithfulness. That is why he set his heart to return to reflect on God's perfections. And when he did that, please notice what happened to him on the inside, even though the outside did not change. Verse 24, I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. That word portion has the idea of inheritance. Inheritance. You see, for God's children, material possessions are not the joy. Our inheritance really is not even heaven per se. Our inheritance is God himself. We are created to enjoy God forever. God offers himself to us. I am your portion. I am your inheritance. Everything is clicking into Jeremiah's mind. Then he says, therefore, I will wait or I will hope, wait and hope for him. Even the tears continuing to flow through Jeremiah's eyes, he could with utmost confidence and with assurance say this, I will continue, Yahweh, to wait in eager and confident expectation until the day I will be in your presence and enjoy you forever. We cannot enjoy him now because of the existing remnants of sin in our fallen flesh. We'll enjoy him in all his glory. In the meantime, even if trials hit me, Lord, even if things get worse, in his case, it did get worse, I will keep returning my heart again and again to reflect on your great love that does not consume us, on your never-ending compassions that will never fail, and your great 
and enduring faithfulness. Folks, if Jeremiah, who lived 450 to 500 years before the cross, could say these words in the midst of deep despair as he set his heart on God's character, how much more must you and I, living this side of the cross, say as we look at this character of God, especially in the light of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. On the cross, we see God's ultimate display of his chesed, his covenant love, his unfailing love in that he gave his son for us and to us. On the cross, we see the ultimate display of God's compassions in that he does not leave us to die in our sins, which we fully deserve, but has provided a way for us so that we can be delivered from the coming wrath, which will be far worse than the wrath that the Babylonians inflicted on Jerusalem. And on the cross, we see the ultimate, ultimate proof of God's faithfulness that he could be trusted to keep his word. That word he gave in Genesis 3. The seed of the woman will crush the head of Satan. He puts that in the plan on the cross. Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, the ultimate sacrifice for our sins, died so that we could have our sins forgiven. No wonder, no wonder we can join the prophet Micah and say, who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives the transgressions of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. Micah 7 verse 18. Answer, none. We could sing along with Moses and say, who is a, who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who is like you? Majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders. Answer again, none. None. So let's set our hearts to keep returning to God's perfections like Jeremiah did, even in the midst of deep suffering, help others. Come alongside. Bible calls us to weep with those who weep. Come alongside and help them in their journey of weeping so that we can help them to return their hearts to focus on God's perfections. Even if that suffering is a result of our sin, we can still go back to God. It's been said, when sin drives the soul from God, its hope perishes. Only as the soul returns to God is its hope restored. Jeremiah returns back to God. His hope is restored. Church and those of you who are visiting with us, when times of sufferings come and they will come if you want to live out faithfully for Jesus Christ. When they come and crush our hope, all our hopes, Let's learn to rise above our sufferings, all of them, by setting our hearts to view those sufferings, not deny them, but to view them through the lens of God's perfections. His great love, His never failing compassions and His great faithfulness in that He will, he will take us home safely. He can be trusted. That's what Jeremiah did. And if we... Imitate his example. We too can abound in hope. I'll read a couple more verses from there. We can also say the same thing that he said in verses 25 and 26. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him. To the one who seeks him, it is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Not grumbling, complaining, 
Why God did you do this to me? How could you? Nothing like that. It's good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. And what is the salvation, the ultimate deliverance the church is eagerly and in great hope waiting for? Is it not the glorious return of our Lord and Savior, King Jesus Christ? Isn't that why Paul describes our hope as the blessed hope? Titus 2, verse 13. I pray the Spirit of God will strengthen our hearts with this blessed hope as we keep pressing forward. Again, if you're far away from Jesus Christ, this could be your life, but you have to turn from your sin and put your faith in Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter if you've been going to church all your life. It doesn't matter if your parents are Christian, grandparents are Christian. It doesn't matter even if you're in ministry. Are you born again? Have you turned from your sin and turned to Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of it? If not, from where you are, you call upon the name of the Lord to save you. He will. 20 years, God has sustained this church. 20 long years, that's 7,300 plus days. You leave out the leap year days. He sustained this church despite our many failures. Starting at the top of the list, which has my name on it. Exclusive rights there. But he sustained us by repeatedly drawing us to focus our attention on his character, his perfections. He has always, always abounded in love and compassion and displayed his faithfulness in so many ways every single day. May that truth motivate us as individuals and collectively as a church to keep pressing forward. May that motivate us to turn our trials, our cape of storms, no matter how harsh those storms might seem to be, into a cape of good hope as we keep returning our hearts again and again to focus on God's perfections. Let's pray. Father, just thank you for you. Triune God. Perfect. No flaw. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for coming in, revealing who God is in flesh and blood. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the shed blood. Thank you for your perfect life, for your perfect death. Thank you for the resurrection. We truly have hope. And we look forward to that time, Lord, when you will come in all glory as the rightful king, king of the universe. It's when every knee will bow and every tongue acknowledge you are the Lord, the King, the Master. This is your church. We thank you for the many years of your goodness to us. As long as you see fit to keep this church open, we pray that you will help us, Lord, to be obedient, to keep focusing on who you are, drive, derive strength from that, 
and keep driving forward by the power of your spirit to be a blessing to many. I thank you for the many that have passed through this church. So many ways you have blessed me and my family too. Thank you. Thank you for today's reminder. Even when all hope seems to be lost, by returning our hearts to focus on you, we can live with a sure hope. Pray for any here who's really down and out. Would you please lift them up? And if there's any still far away from you, may your spirit bring them to the point where they would bow their knee and acknowledge from their heart, Jesus, you are the Lord of their lives. For your glory we pray. Amen.